Blog Talk Radio. of the tipping point um it's we're really doing a check to see if i'm still alive and i am <laughs> um, it's going to be a Stephen platinum here with our very special guest uh todd sexton who uh came up with this idea to just kind of talk shop larry's going to might pop in from time to time but he's a busy man so this is going to be me and todd just talking of um, talking wrestling which i am incredibly excited about todd how are you doing tonight I'm doing good, and you actually called it, because this basically we could subtitle the show The Wellness Check on Steve Platinum, just yeah. to make sure. <laughs> Look at my mail here. Oh, God. Just so much craziness. Yeah, I mean, um, I haven't put it out yet, um, but, like, I have, you know, this full disclosure has been in, put together in bits and parts for a month now, or just me shooting videos at random and storing them on my laptop, but... Uh, it's been a lot between work and I just, I work a lot for those that don't know. Like last week I logged in 106 hours of work. Um, Good Lord. So between that, <laughs> so between that and uh, my sister died um, a couple of weeks ago and uh, I have two sisters and it was the oldest sister who died. And so that was, uh, that was quite a lot to deal with. She was kind of estranged from the family. Um, so me and my middle sister have had kind of to deal with all of that stuff. And then the usual litany of uh, busy nonsense. Um, so all that's going on. But uh, believe it or not, I have actually kept up with wrestling in a slightly different way than I used to. I used to just kind of consume everything that came in. And now I just sort of jump like a skipping stone to things that interest me. So that's what's been going on with me. How have you been, Todd? I've been good, uh, getting ready for um, this Thursday night, you know, usual um, usual life and world. I mean, um, my son finishing up um, cross country, and you got the two girls, so you know how it is when you get very involved with your uh, your children's interests and how that can be very uh, satisfying for you and stuff, especially if they do well. And um, so that's been a, a lot to deal, you know, a, lot, a, good, a good way a lot to deal yeah. with and stuff. And then, um, you know, uh, first off, let me get this out of the way. Wish Bobby Moore a happy birthday from yesterday. Hunter James today finally turned 20. Oh, my and, God. Ha- yeah, and happy – ridiculous, right? And happy birthday to my wife's favorite ex-boyfriend, the incomparable Nick Kalen. Wow. Because I was threatened not to give him a birthday shout-out today. Um <laughs> I saw Nick Halen put out, by the way, his top ten favorite sort of like hard rock metal albums, and oh, this is this is near impossible for me. But when anyone puts out a list, 
there's always oh, something yeah. I kind of nitpick, right? Of course, yeah. right? Because you have your yeah. own personal taste, whatever. Man, that's as good a top ten list as any I've seen. And like, we've been commenting even the, on even it. the Kiss we, album, even the Kiss album you chose. I was just like, yeah, oh yeah, I kind of like that one the best. Yeah, it's a good. So it's Jeff a good might pick, get mad at right? that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he may, but Revenge is re- totally o- overlooked. Um, but um, we, uh, me and, and since he put that out, I've commented on him a bunch because me and him always talk about. Um, Music with Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and stuff. So, and we debated on this, that, and the other. Like, is it puppets or is it Ride the Lightning? Is it Shout at the Devil? Is it Too Fast for Love? It's like depends on the day of the week, and I'll choose one or the other. So, <laughs> so speaking of, well, I guess it's a terrible transition. That's what I do. So, <laughs> okay, so. I was thinking about like the idea of that list and what was kind of cool and what felt personal. Todd, I'm going to throw out this incredibly impossible question to you because I don't want to answer it yet. Fair enough. <laughs> Is there anything in wrestling that you're not directly involved with that feels cool <laughs> and engages you personally? That I'm not directly involved with. That you're not directly involved with. Um... That covers a lot of ground for me right now. Mm. Um, well, um, well, um, I'm not involved at all with the uh, the Athens show, although I was in contact with guys on that show, uh, Classic City Wrestling, and, and yeah. that apparently uh, um, everybody raved about it. That was part of it, and it was a good vibe. They had you know a big house around you know 250 to 300 something like that, and and the footage I saw looked really looked really good. And it seemed like the crowd was, um, you know, Sal told me the crowd was really engaged in it, and Naj told me he was extremely happy with his uh, second match in the series with Owen, and the crowd. And so that seemed like that could turn into something. I mean, it's it's hard to base success going forward off of one show, especially a show that runs once a month and it's the first time in that building. But the Forty Watt Club in Athens is a pretty cool. It's a pretty cool idea to run there. Oh, okay. Let's let's means- spill some let's spill some tea here. So first, okay. Southern Violence has the brewing company contract, and they fuck mm-hmm. it up because one of their dumb shit wrestlers is smoking fucking weed everywhere where he's not supposed to smoke it. <laughs> here, I am in don't give a shit mode. Clearly, so they lose yep. it. <clears throat> they Justin Burnham splits from them, forms Classic City Wrestling. And he gets the Southern Brewing thing. Meanwhile, Southern yeah. Violence starts running these different venues. Um, their talent level is significantly less than what Classic City put on last weekend. I think we can agree on that, right? Classic City, wow. So, but then Classic City, dumb fucks, lose the, <laughs> they lose the brewing company gig too because they cancel a show. Um, without basically letting the brewing company know. Now, they did it for safety reasons and all the rest of this, but nonetheless, you know, um, brewing company wasn't thrilled with them, kicked them out. Um, And I would say that their bounce back was significantly better, and it relates almost entirely to talent level. Now, people get mad when we talk about this kind of thing, and make distinctions between shit shows and not shit shows and quality shows and not quality shows. But if you look at who's on that classic city card, 
I would argue it's as good as what almost anybody is putting out, possibly as good as what anybody is putting out, just in terms of the sheer firepower of who they had. Yeah, I mean, they had good stars, and they had good matches, from what I understand. You know, I mean, so it's a, you know, especially if you're running a show where you're not necessarily focusing on stories, and I'm not sure if they are, but just judging by how what what, what I know, I didn't see. It was more of a event, you know, attraction more than the, especially since it's a rebound show, and it definitely seemed like you know it was a stacked card with great mm-hmm. talent. I mean, when Sal Sal's in your main event, it's you know you know you at least know your main event's ending really good. Right. I mean, this isn't. Oh God, Steve, um, this isn't Charlie Anarchy fucking running around, pulling his dick in the ring. This isn't fucking, you know, Tyler What's-His-Nuts fucking wrestling the Invisible Man. I mean, we we got to call a thing a thing. And there's so much shitty stuff that those guys have done and uh, under the Southern Violence Banner and otherwise. And there comes a time where you got to kind of shit and get off the pot, right? you, you got to decide to be a better show. Like Southern Fried, at one point, they drew incredibly well with fat guys hitting each other with trash cans, right? Yep. <clears throat> guys that the rest of us make fun of. <laughs> guys that you're embarrassed to read their posts, right? You look at Ashley yeah. Blade Clark. You look at Lobo. You look at these dipshits, right? And they sucked. So at some point, Charles made the conscious choice, I want to run a show closer to the kind of wrestling that he enjoys, supposedly. Now, he went too far the other way. Now, Todd, correct me if I'm wrong, right? At one point, I felt like he went way too far the other way. Like, he joined the IAWF, which is always the kiss of death, if you want to be taken seriously, Right, uh, he joined that, yeah, and then he. But then he had like Fred Yehi win a tournament. Like he had this like real wrestle wrestle stuff, and it was just too much of a culture shock for his crowd. They expanded. They wanted to run different towns. Another thing that's always the kiss of death, right? Oh, uh-huh. we're going to take our act elsewhere. Can't wait for that Southern Honor uh, World Tour. By the way, that's going to be fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so. But then, you know, they got a hold of you. I think, I think it would be incorrect to say that you kind of stabilized and, 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 you know, brought that show to a right place. I think that undermines what you did. What you did was you kind of brought a new energy. And that energy was we're going to do quality shit. And we're going to have a vision, which they never had before. Their vision never went beyond, here's a feud, or here's who our next champ is. But they didn't have a vision. They didn't have a vibe. And I thought, like, you brought a vision and a vibe, which said, we're going to do stuff to get heat. We're going to do stuff to uh, kind of build to a show. Um, A lot of people, I think, erroneously saw it as this is like the new incarnation of anarchy or this feels like anarchy. It's a lot of the same. I I didn't see it that way. I saw it as like, oh, it's, it's a show to be taken. It's a show that takes itself seriously while understanding that wrestling can be a lot of different elements. 
And um, and it made it a, a show that I thought kind of put it in the major leagues in a way that even when they were garnering like success on paper, meaning, you know, 400 people are watching whatever shit Chris Nelms thing, right? But like, again, I, and Todd, you might disagree with this, but like, I don't give a fuck about the size of your crowd at a certain point. I don't care if Superstars of Wrestling has 1,174 people or 200. It is a show that I think it's to a certain group of people it matters. Of course that's important. And they have a fan base. Sure. Who gives a fuck? Who, who, does anybody get better? Or does pe- do people just want to be around people? If you're the kind of show where people are doing it just so they could be around Barry Windham, who's great, right? or whatever the case may be. I don't know, man. I just don't – I was never that guy when I worked, I guess. Like, I wouldn't have gotten my nuts up for a Superstars Fan Fest show. I would have done it. I'm not saying I would have been too good to do it. I just wouldn't have been like, ooh, I'm a part of this huge – I would have just recognized it for what it was. Todd, did – I mean, you've wrestled in all kinds of shows. Did you find well, yourself? You. Yeah, 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 please. No, no, I mean, no, you made a good point there, and that is, you know, hey, it could be cool to wrestle in front of a big crowd, right? But you know that you had nothing to do with drawing those people. Ooh, when, you, when, you bring in, when you bring in, you know, um, all these stars, you better draw a 1,000 people. You got Brutus the fucking Barber Beefcake there. You better draw a 1,000 people, by God. <laughs> <laughs> that, almost, that almost drew me there, but then it didn't. So, um, so I mean, you know, it, it, the wrestling is just part of it. It happens to be there happens to be matches going on after you meet the stars. So it doesn't have that that oomph, that feeling that look what we did, and then being a part of it and being on the show where you're part of the team, and if you're the booker, being like, you didn't draw these people based on booking angles. Or making them want to buy a ticket to see which what's going to happen. They all came to see these legends that they grew up with. Totally yeah. different animal. You know, it's a, it's a totally different animal. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying it's a different animal from, you know, what I've done, what you've done, what Matt's done, Dylan, so forth and so on. And and, and go down the you know any book or ever. Um, it's you know when you when you put on those attraction things, you're drawing those people in. And in one way, you're hoping you'll get new eyes and maybe they'll come back. But at the same time, it's hard to take it like our main event tonight drew, you know, a thousand people, but you know, you have half the best wrestlers legends left from the eighties there. So, you know, right, cause what, I mean, like, you know? I'll ask you this. What was the main event of superstars fan fest? I don't know either. I think it was a ladder match and I had to think about it. You know, I mean, I remember being a ladder match. As long as Laser wasn't in it, I guess they were okay. So, you know, as long yeah, that's probably a good bet. Oh, Dylan, for that matter. Wow. (laughs) Oh my God, that's true. You know, you brought up Southern Honor and Dylan, so I'm going to say something here. Um, brutal. So their last show did not do nearly as well. They didn't draw half of what they drew really from the show before, and. I got to say this, you know, I definitely adore Gary Lamb for being this person that he is in so many ways. 
But I got to say this excuse of, well, I didn't, I couldn't promote the show. I didn't feel like promoting the show, so it didn't draw. I don't think that's the flex that he thinks that is. To me, it makes me question, is it a show that is garnering true momentum, or is it a show where if they do fan service, they do well, and if they don't do fan service, they're punished for it? Now, I know you're involved with that show, and I know I would guess, okay, I'm just going to say this, Todd. Oh, God. Fuck, what the fuck is wrong with me? This is how you know I haven't talked about wrestling. Trouble here or something. Yeah, yeah, go. But well, let it all well, I'm going to say this. The, 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 the main event where Gunner gives up because Gary Lamb is held hostage by Cruel. One, it's one of the dumbest fucking finishes I've ever heard of. I fucking hate that finish. And as soon as I saw that finish, I went, Todd had nothing to do with this idea because it's god awful <laughs> and it's terrible. And so I might be wrong about that, and I apologize. But the first thing I said is, Todd had nothing to do with this finish, because it is a horrible idea. Um, Gary Lamb taking a bunch of light tubes to the back when he's wearing 57 layers of clothing doesn't mean anything. I mean, I'm just going to call it, right? It doesn't mean anything. The emotional impact of Gary Lamb getting hit, Gunner giving up because of this, recreating an AEW finish. I just, there was so much I hated about it, and I feel like part of that low number, to an extent, is a, was a repudiation, was a mandate from a lot of their crowd going like, this is bullshit, they're stretching this Gunner thing out too long, why is Gunner not winning the title at your biggest show of the year? It feels like you're sort of extending this thing unnaturally. Cruel's injury, in fact, has sort of given them a present, which is, in a weird way, they can kind of get there now. Though, I don't know if I buy the threat of, Sal is great, but Sal is also not in the same size category of a Gunner Miller, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't perceive Carly Bravo sunny days and Sal as a threat to Gunnar Miller, especially if Kyle's there also. I don't, there's nothing about that that screams. If Joe Black isn't there, I'm not scared for him. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't see it. Even if he wins, I don't see it as a Roman triumph. And these are the elements of booking that I think Dylan misses where it's like, Where's the threat? And I get the, oh, no, we have to overcome an injury. By the way, Booker's everywhere. I don't give a fuck about what you have to overcome. Um, <laughs> that's the gig, right? Tony Khan has to overcome, oh, P.S., my biggest star has gotten into a fist fight. And I, <laughs> I have, like, things are tough all over, champ. All right, so uh, like. Yeah, you remember a couple of years ago, yeah. I had something I had to overcome when it came to my heavyweight champion. So, um, yeah. I mean, you know, let's, so, talk about the, fuck, let's talk about that, man. I think it's one of the best. I mean, because I remember when that happened, of course. Yes. And, uh, you know, Jacob Ashworth acting like a fucking dipshit and an asshole. But, like, <clears throat> the, the recovery job, I think it's one of those crowning moments for you as a booker and Southern Fred as a promotion. Because it's one of those things that, 
could have stained. And I'm not going to say nothing's ever handled perfectly. I hate when people on Twitter or whatever, like, but they could have, yeah, there's a million things you could do. But when you you're putting decisions done. in exactly. the moment, yeah. when, when yeah. Jay Fury is whipping a woman's ass and I have to go, okay, what do I do? You make the yeah. decisions and then you kind of live with them, right? And you have to do the best yeah. you can. I, I got to say that, you know, you will get praise for a number of things booking-wise, but I thought having to fight off of your back is the true mark of greatness. And Southern Honor has yet to fight off of their back. They would claim that they have. I would love to hear how because they haven't had to do it yet. And I'm not saying that they're incapable. I'm just saying that I don't see evidence that they they can overcome anything because they have advantages. That's not their fault. It's good that they have those advantages. But I'm not so sure – the booking indicates to me, the vision indicates to me, they've never had to fight off of their back. And, they don't, and they're committing the cardinal sin of not pulling the trigger. Uh, I think not pulling the trigger helped kill AWE. I think, you know, at one point there was a time to take that thing off of Rave and put it on Chip, and they didn't do it. So instead of winning it in front of 150 or 200, Chip won it in front of 40. And it's mm-hmm. one of those things that, like, it's a wrestling thing, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. You're the best trigger puller in booking. And I think that that's a pretty great t- – that and being the best finish guy, I think, are, like, two titles to be proud of. You know? Well, thank you very much. And, and you are – because the, the, the trigger pulling, it's such a, it's such a hard thing sometimes. Am I doing yeah. it too soon? Can I get more out of it? But my, my whole thing is usually my, my philosophy is I'd rather have it too soon than too late. Yeah. If I had to choose, like pulling the trigger on the uh, breakup of the sex and alliance, which none of the guys wanted to do, but I didn't want it to overstay its welcome and didn't want it to become something, you know, like that, for instance. And then, you know, I mean, it's always a debate, okay, because some guys have grown up with. And, and when, you, when you're a booker, you, you are a, a lot of times a slave to your influences because of what you grew up on. And, you, and mm-hmm. sometimes you've got you to gotta push that away and go with what's going – you know, it, it, you know being, a, being a booker – whoa, you there? Yep. Okay. A big static thing. But when you're booking, you have your influences that you grew up with, the influences of the people around you. The influence of what's going on currently, and, and it's, sometimes it can be difficult because you know. For okay, let's let's go back a little bit. Lex Luger. They held that thing off so long when he finally got it, it didn't mean shit, and it was the worst case possible because Flair had quit the company. Right? We all remember that, right? Right. right. And right. that would be an example of waiting too long, don't you think? Because if they would have pulled it off in '89, '88, when he was hot. You know, would it have been different? Probably. It probably would have more. It probably would have gone back to Flair, regardless. But that would have been the time to take the chance. You know, and then other. And, it, and it's. I think. I think not crowning him when it was appropriate then actually continued to hurt him for the rest of his career. I think he. Well, because, it really he became regarded, a choke artist thing. It it it, 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 it relegated him to a B level player. I I mean I I talk about this all the time. Like. 
the first person to beat Hollywood Hulk Hogan was Lex Luger. And yeah. he made him tap out, and nobody remembers it or cares. Which and it was the highest rated Nitro up to that point. Of like, you know? yeah. <laughs> but it didn't matter because everybody knew Sting was going to be the guy anyway. So it was like, yeah. do this, and he held it for a week, which hurt him more. And then you even go back to you know Luger, the Yokozuna match, where they will hold it off till WrestleMania, and they didn't pull the trigger then, and that killed him. So you see examples of not pulling the trigger killing him. And then, you know, it, it may be best to hit it when you, when you have it. If, if everything's there, go ahead and, you know, take a shot. You know, here's, but... here's, Todd, here's, a, here's a question about trigger pulling. So, mm-hmm. Roman, does, is the obvious thing he's got to lose it at WrestleMania? And if he doesn't lose it at WrestleMania, are they pulling the trigger too late? I don't know because you question. think that that is a rough question because I you know I I've been for lack of a better term not just watching but studying the Roman stuff because it fascinates yeah, me love it. Paul's involved and you know you think it's getting old but then he comes out on TV and you feel it and you see the reaction from the crowd and he feels like bigger than anybody on the roster maybe even maybe even his aura is you know eclipsing Lesnar's a little bit since Lesnar's Lesnar's been humanized with the baby face redneck trucker guy, even though he's still, you know, he's still fucking Lesnar. But it's mm-hmm. like as soon as you think, oh, maybe it's time for him to lose, and then you see him come back out, and you just it feels like he's heading. If you have a star of that magnitude, do you mess with it until you have the right guy? Because you never want to switch. The, who's the right guy, Todd? Who's the right guy? I don't guy? know. Is, is, it, it is, not it, Cody, is it not Cody Rhodes? I mean, to that's me. That's the only name I, that comes I'm, to mind. I made this, I made this crazy prediction at because there's a there's an old black man that I work with at one of my jobs who is like he used to go to Florida Championship Wrestling, so he nice. and I like vibed right away right and he he watches the modern thing but he doesn't really understand it, so it leads to these great discussions because he'll have ideas. Like, he'll just have, he doesn't have ideas like a modern wrestling fan, but he does just sort of ask questions. Like, he's just like, if they've already got Sasha Banks on the line, why do they need to bring her back for an event? Can't she just do a series of interviews? And, you know, he says this, and I just go, God, that would be different, wouldn't it? You know, instead of this, like, here's a surprise, because he pointed out, he goes, like, why is everything in modern wrestling about, then someone shows up by surprise, but it's not a surprise. He goes, like, they, they do that again and again and again, don't they? And, and until he pointed that out, I went, oh, my God, he's right. Like, everything is, okay, we kind of know Brian Danielson showing up, right? Or we kind of know CM Punk showing up, or we kind of know, or look, Triple H brought all of these people back. But at the end of the day, does it matter? If you're Johnny Gargano and your career is, dog shit right now? Like, does it matter that they brought him back and he got a hero's reception? But, well, like, well, here, everything is sort of short-term pop, right? Well, you, so. you, made, you made a comment, though. You made a comment, though, that it's interesting, and you brought CM Punk's return we knew about. Everybody knew, but it wasn't known. So it wasn't – it was trying to find that fine line of it. Willie or Woney is a surprise, but it, they pretty much told you it was happening without telling you. Same thing with Cody, Right. And when at WrestleMania, you knew it, but you didn't know for sure. And both of those are the most impactful re- 
you know, returns, appearances, surprises, because they really weren't surprises. So there is a point there to where a surprise is a surprise, but when you can build it a little bit and people kind of pick up on it, you know, then it's yeah. entirely effective. You know, everybody knew Hogan was going to – Andre was going to turn heel and face Hogan at WrestleMania three. They still went with it anyway, and guess what happened? We're still talking about yeah. it. Well, you know, you knew Savage was going to turn on Hogan. My prediction yeah, was prediction. that Ken, Kevin Owens would get jumped right before the War Games match and taken out, and his replacement Ooh. would be Cody Rhodes. That I think it's so obvious that Cody would be your Royal Rumble, and then he goes through, and then he wins it. But there's something yeah. about that that feels pat. And I feel like Paul Heyman's thing would be, ah, he's good to go. Let's do it earlier. So that way we have months and months of build of, but Cody won the, won the uh, war games for them, and it's the first guy that Roman is scared to face. Like, that's the difference they have to make. They have to make yeah. it where it's like, I'm not going to face that guy. And then his quest to win the Rumble is more interesting. Because instead of him just showing up a la Edge or whatever, it's yeah. Go the no, like, yeah, we're yeah. going to throw every obstacle in his way. He's going to be number one. We're going to have every member of the bloodline be like 25 through 30 or whatever yeah. they do, right? Um, which is, in a sense, what Dylan is trying to do in sort of like reconstructing this idea that Gunnar Miller's the guy. And so I find it fascinating in that, like, if you brought him back, I mean, this is, you know, and I don't know the status of his injury and all the rest of that shit. I don't care about that, right? Like, I don't care about the story aspect. So to me, yeah. it's, it, you're taking a War Games concept, which, of course, guys like you and I are excited about in general. Yeah. I feel like... Everybody, because they're so happy about War Games, is pretending that this War Games is going to be is well done, because it's not right. Like it's not. <laughs> that raw, it's that raw be, was depressingly bad to me, and this very it, throwback gonna, in the worst be, of ways. It's going to be stunt show stuff too, like the NXT ones have been, where there's tables, there's chairs, there's stunts versus the War Games that we've grown up in, and that both of us have tried to. Um, do as best as we can when we're booking yeah. as far as having the hate, the blood, the intensity versus, okay, it's a bunch of guys. I got a cage. Nobody's going to believe. We got 16 tables. There's kendo sticks under the ring because why wouldn't there be? There's also a ladder we can get if we need it. <laughs> and we can just go have a good stunt show with spots without any feeling of story and intensity that you want in those kind of situations, which, you know, honestly, with Roman's character, honestly, and I hope smarter has prevailed. That's the story that needs to be told is the intensity and the thing. Cody coming in, doing that prediction, you do that prediction makes for a great story because the bloodline has been untouchable. And finally, somebody touched him. Then that right there, you've had the story where, like you said, Roman's afraid. The bloodline's a little, uh, Okay, we need to we need to snuff this out before it gets too much. And now you have a story worthwhile. Yeah. You know. Yeah. What's the what's the AEW story you care about the most right now, if any? Uh, the pay per view is still too fresh in my mind, man, for me to back any. Dude, it was that. long. Bro. Uh, it was really long. They I I feel like a lot of the good stuff that Triple H has done is is kind of doing the obvious. Like, that's been, that's been part of the things that have worked, which is, like, 
I think if he had his way, I think like Raw would be two hours, which would solve so many issues as oh, far as yeah, storytelling and, and like. But but, but he can't, TV, right? Realistically, he can't. He can't. TV but but, but Tony Khan can. They they don't have to do ten matches on a pay per view. Um, oh my God! I, I, I mean, give some of those matches way more time than they need. You know, I mean. Yeah. All I needed to see was Jay Cargill come out as fucking Chitar, and I was happy. Go home. Two minutes in. Yeah. Go home. You know, because she's winning. Jamie, I thought the Jamie Hayter match really worked. Like, and so give that time and let Jade Cargill and Nyla Rose be what it is, right? This, yeah, this, they should have been Brock like and said, Goldberg out home. there. Too. Yeah. And then the, the Jamie Hayter, everybody's been waiting for Hayter to get the big uh, win. So that should have been, but at that point in the show, we're getting tired. You know, I mean, everybody's yeah. getting tired, you know, and it's a four-hour pay-per-view, five when you count the, the pre-show. So people in the building have been seeing everything in the world being thrown at them at that point, plus multiple women yeah. matches, which, you know, take their toll. And I've, been, I've been in AEW crowds where, I mean, even when they do dark and elevation tapings beforehand, there's something about that that is painful, like – because you're having, you're wanting to give your juice to these people who are wrestling, right? Just out of respect. It's like, mm-hmm. cool. And, and then there were people who would get a bigger pop. Like the acclaimed for years have gotten garnered a, a reaction that felt a little bit beyond what most of their peers were getting, whether it's because of the gimmick or just because of the vibe of it, right? Like, and I remember thinking like when I would see them on a dark match thing and it would be like, they would get this reaction, but you could almost feel the crowd going like, oh, we're spending resources, right? <laughs> we're not even yeah. a main thing, and we're already like, I can't imagine. I mean, those Rampage shows suffer because of it, right? If you have yeah. dark stuff before, you have dynamite stuff then, and then I'm supposed to get my dick hard for Rampage? When... Like, here's an easy solution that I wanted to propose to AEW. Stop having the guys stay on Dynamite this Friday on Rampage. Because to the live crowd, they always get the same reaction, which is like, bro, this is happening in 20 minutes. What the fuck are yeah, you talking about? Yeah, and I always about? thought that back in the day where they would do Raw's two in the night. Next week, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're slapping me in the face. I mean, just, just say, you know, on Rampage, we're going to get this on at Rampage, and then the crowd can be excited. Oh, shit, we're going to get to see this. Awesome. Right. Like, and again, they, they could, this Friday, this Friday. I thought the one thing that Eric Bischoff did that was really great was he backed off on the shilling. It's one of those things he does not get credit for. But when they were starting to get their thing going, he, he didn't mention the pay-per-view every match. You know, it was just yeah. like, no, because, like, wrestling was just full of shilling. And he's just like, I didn't want to hear that. So, and he's like, and if we're good enough, why the hell do we have to shill? And he's right. You know, it's, yep. it's like the excuses everybody has, including, you know, getting back to Jerry Lamb. I didn't promote. Well, you know what that means? People don't want to see your fucking show. Like, that's the truth, right? Like, I would not flex on that. I would say instead, you know, we have a 275 to 300 people who are invested in what's going on, and we and want that number to go. 
Yeah. Yeah, and they were into it. They were there. You know, Garner, and, and, so, and, 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 and you know, he's like, and they saw a great show. But you and I both know, because I've we both been booking long enough and running shows enough and being part of shows enough that doing a great show in front of a smaller crowd is bittersweet at best. At least to me, I I would always go like, it's like, I I wanted this reaction to my show with. 500 plus, right? Like, yeah. I want I want to hook and drag when there's more people to hook and drag, not build yeah. from the ground again. And I, you know, um, I don't know. It was I, I just I find Southern Honor, of course, you got to talk about them because they're so big, and it's also because they're so different. Everybody's got their own little feastum. I I I love the idea that Classic City is going to be a player, but I worry that when you lose the best gig, the Southern Brewing Company gig, to me, is that I would have, I would have cut somebody's throat to have that gig at PCW. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, they're drinking. They're not. I, I mean, I think part of what, like, Duke loved that show, right? He texted me. He called me. He's like, this crowd is like so different because they're not smart marks. They're just into it. And I'm like, yeah, it's the perfect crowd, right? Like it's yeah. the crowd that most people, I didn't want that crowd, which cause I'm an idiot, but like I could see wanting that crowd of people who are just like, tell me the story. I want to hear, you know, they're the, they're the kid at bedtime. I'm willing to listen to this story. Even if it's one I'm familiar with, I want to hear it, and I will react accordingly. Um, that's a wonderful feeling to have. Mm-hmm. And um, it is. No, when you have that hook and stuff. And I mean, Larry, were you going to say something? Two things. One, yeah. they didn't. In terms of the length of the matches on the AEW, they certainly didn't do Soraya any favors by leaving her out there so long. That was painful oh my to God. watch. It was. Uh, you know, and that's what people got to realize. Go ahead, go, go ahead, ahead. No. and I'll, I'll comment on that in a second, but go ahead. Uh, I had a question for you guys after you comment, which was your thoughts on the idea of the big crowd react, the baby face reaction, huge for MJF when he, come out, when he came out, and them going ahead with the finish of, of keeping him full on heel instead of running with him as a baby face. Just bo- I'm just curious right, I, both, but both of your thoughts on that. And I do have thoughts on, on both these things. The first thing about the Soraya thing, that is a case of letting the um, – the workers call it to the bookers. Soraya hasn't had yeah. a match in how many years? And it, that needed to be short and sweet. Britt, who is a fantastic personality and is probably either still the star of the division, um, but at the same time, you don't need – just because you think a match needs to go 15 minutes doesn't mean it, it does. You know, I mean, it needed to be as, sh- as short and effective as possible. And sometimes – the wrestlers don't realize that because they don't see their own weaknesses and they see every match needs to be, you know, and I've dealt with this in my locker room and in other locker rooms and the shows I helped out on is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is, you know, you, you sometimes you've got to, you know, they don't see their weaknesses and what will make the match more effective. They want to go out there and have their moment and have their WrestleMania moment and have their 15, 20 minute classic when it would be more effective for everybody involved, including hiding their weaknesses, if you keep it down to 8 to 10 or 12 even. 
you know. And that, that's to me what it came across. I'm going to give you a moment. You're coming back for your first match. Go out there and have that big match. No, it should have been chopped in half in order not to embarrass her and also take out any risk of the injuries because that still comes across as shady to me how the fact that she got cleared a couple of weeks before, which doesn't sound right to me. Like something is not adding up there as far as that goes. But anyway, yeah. I think that was that was bad booking as far as laying that out. Yes. Uh, MJF. MJF okay. They did. They already fucking did this. If you remember during the Punk feud, they did the babyface tease where is Punk the bad guy? You know where he did the babyface promo, right? Where he rolled Punk in and then they beat the shit out of Punk. So they've already played the card of MJF faking the babyface turn. And then they do it again. And like I said, they totally bought, in my opinion, and of course it's just my opinion, they botched the build on that where all you had to do was MJF and Moxley to cut promos back and forth because yeah. they could both talk. And they're great personalities. And the Regal MJF segment was, I think we can all agree, was pretty awesome. And of course I'm biased to anything Regal does. And at that point, if you figured it out, you could tell the finish was going to be Regal was going to give him the knucks and he was going to use him to win the belt. And just because sometimes you see something that people figured it out, it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Um, but if MJF's a baby face, then what does he do as a baby face? Cause the, it's like he's, a, he's like a baby face because the crowd enjoys being entertained by him and enjoys what he says. And it's a weird thing that if that character is a babyface. At this point, it seems like it would be too soon to do that, but to tease the babyface thing to go full-blown heel to me was a waste of – it was just a waste in my opinion. I, I think AEW, it exacerbates a problem that they've always had, which is they're great at telling a story and getting you to – finale of the story like Adam Page winning and all of that stuff I thought all of that was so expertly done having the Bucks come out there and sort of nod their approval all that stuff works and then they don't know where to go <laughs> like WWE's problem is worse but it's covered up by the fact that it's a bigger show and there's more going on their, their bigger problem is they have no heir apparent ever right so it's just like like Oh, Liv Morgan's hot right now. Let's give it to her. And then they literally don't know what to do. And then so she's ripped, right? What was so, Wardlow? Like, Wardlow. I mean, another great was example, the hottest right? Hottest thing going. Hottest thing going. And then MJF fucked him, or whatever happened. And then they booked. And him then, but shit. then they didn't know like, what to do. They after never that. know what to do after. They never know what yeah. to do. And again, it shows. You know, I think Tony Khan's a pretty good booker because he's obsessed with the idea alone. Is is makes him pretty good, but it also shows signs of green boy shit, which is where are your challengers, right? I mean, and I'm like, let's bring it back to local, right? I said that Gunnar Miller was the best babyface in wrestling right now. In rest, and I meant wrestling, period, right? Mm. But at the same time, where are his worthy adversaries? And I mean, you can't prevent a, cru- a cruel injury happens, and that's terrible. Yeah. But even if it didn't happen, um, like, all right, so he knocks off cruel. Who's the next logical contender? I thought the idea of Kyle and Chip having a feud 
and then Kyle kind of coming out of that as a contender was a great idea, a really great idea, but it did feel like he was there to be a placeholder to get smashed around by Cruel because to do anything else felt like it was derailing that main story. Now, you know as well as I do, the hardest thing to do is to keep a next thing going, which is why I sort of built in all of that bullshit at Sacred Ground every year. Like, there was like, you always do the time change at Sacred Ground. I'm like, yeah, because it was an easy way to sort of reset. Who's the next contender? Whoever wins that stupid fucking Platinum Royal that I hate, right? So that way we're moving right into a thing, and we can do different kind of storytelling tropes with that. Um, I wasn't so concerned with, but we want to be it's, – it's one of these hard things, right? It's like the Soraya thing. Like, what Tony Khan wants is for people to go, holy shit, that was amazing. From a wrestling standpoint and every other thing, he hasn't learned that sometimes the goal is to not impress wrestling fans. <laughs> the goal is to present the best possible overall product instead of wowing them with each match and then hoping the sum, you know, the sum is greater. Um, you're better off if kind they, of, you know, where's your palate cleanser? Mat? I'm such a fan. I know that's a term that I coined. I'm such a fan of the palate cleanser match. Where's my, mm-hmm. where's my two-minute match, you know, where I can go like, oh, that was unexpected and really, really cool, and now we can, now I feel refreshed for the rest of the card. Um, I don't know why that's not utilized more. I don't know why we don't have Ultimate Warrior coming down and stomping the fuck out of Honky Tonk Man. Um, I think those moments are one of the rest, best payoffs know. ever, by the yeah, way. I just it, want to point that great out. great payoffs to an extended Intercontinental feud. And a year and a half Intercontinental title reign, and he loses where in 30 seconds. Where he's beating the best wrestlers on the planet, or at least yeah, holding them off. Savage and Jake. Drawing huge numbers for the B team, right? Mm -hmm. Drawing huge Mm -hmm. numbers for the B team. But then it's like, but then the the whole point of acquiring, I love this analogy, right? The whole point of acquiring these poker chips is to lose them all into somebody. And I feel like the MJF thing felt like, okay, Moxley and whoever are throwing all their chips to him. But it's like, but who's he going to play poker with next? And it's like, I guess if he's a heel, it's other baby faces. But who's the baby face? That can, like, that's, these are the things that I sort of have problems with. Um, same with Roman. It's like he feels like the best poker player they got. And, <laughs> like, you can't have Brock Lesnar again. And you can't. No. So I guess it's Cody. But, I mean, from all accounts, Cody wasn't ever supposed to be the guy, which I find mind-boggling. But, you know, that could be a Vince problem or an old white man problem, whatever. I don't – Well, it like, also could be – it could also be, if you remember, the peck injury and the reaction it got kind of really took him to another level. And, yeah, it, and, and of course, it hit. Yeah, mm-hmm. they do. And you couldn't capitalize on it right away because he had to be out. But that really raised him as something above – it it, it 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 what's the best way to say this? The bloom was off the rose as far as hey Cody Rose is here right, so the the shock value the the, the freshness of it 
But now that gave him that added thing where it's like, okay, now we're, this guy's really something special. As opposed to, hey, it's fun to have Cody here back. He was just the AEW guy. Now he's back. You know, it gave him more, I don't know, credibility, more got the fans more invested in him in a way that would not have, you know, if the injury hadn't been so visual. You know, it's one of those I, uh, lucky I was actors. shocked that, and this told me that Cody is in control in a way that most guys are not in the WWE, but he's not in total control. Because a media savvy, a social media savvy guy like Cody and Brandy, to not capitalize on that and instead go to this familiar, boring trope of, I'm going to disappear until I come back. I found that really disappointing. Not that he had to be on TV every week. I'm just saying we can't see him having difficult trips to the doctor. We can't see him. We can't just keep that thing in our mind's eye. And, and I found, you know, we're, I'm, I'm saying, like, I mean, it's real. But, you know, like, having Steamboat, a seeing Steamboat attempting to recover from his throat being hurt by Macho Man is an, as integral a part of that feud as anything. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. him trying to talk and he can't talk. Like, we were, we were allowed to see the loss. And nowadays, the loss is seen as bad television. Whereas it's not bad television. It's what the point of this shit is. Guys, guys have tragedy. You see them make their way back, and then they come back. But we're so in love with the surprise. And you know what? I'm going to say something, Todd, and this may offend you as it should. We're more beholden to Vince Russo than we think. I think he altered wrestling so dramatically that we use his tropes and don't even realize they are his tropes. Nobody loved the surprise return and the pointless swerve more than that fucking guy. And we continue to go to the trope of, oh, they're back. Not that that always hasn't existed in wrestling, but it it hadn't been the primary method for someone to get a pop. Like now it's the only way people think to get a pop, right? Is you've been gone for a while. We're going to bring you back by surprise. You've been gone. Oh, oh, look, they're leaving a, a, a person open on the girls' war game team. Great. Like, like cool, it's Sasha Banks. Can we, can we have promos leading up to it? Like, can we have, like, what's wrong with that? But we're so in love with that reaction, right? Soraya is so into that reaction. Right. Yeah. And and they and then they want more reaction. Now I want to be known as the great you know, like, dude, it's been six years. Like the analogy I used uh, with a friend and he was just laughing was you know who else had not done anything in six years was Rihanna. Last song that she released was six years ago. Um and it's like, what is she waiting for? Oh, she's pregnant. You know, she's living her life and she's making money, right? So they bring her back to do the song for Black Panther, the new one. Mm-hmm. And it's a gorgeous song, right? It's a sort of lovely song that makes you think of Chad Bozeman. And I thought, like, that's how you want to come back, right? A, a can't-miss song for the culture. What a great idea, right? And I thought, like, that should have been Soraya, right? People are just glad you're back, 
And if her and, and like you said, you know, as the, the intelligent thing you've been saying again and again and again, you just build the thing. And, they, and that's the match where they did it that way. You're just going to put her and Britt on the microphone, right? Yeah. And just let them, let them go at each other. It plays to both of their strengths. Um, Soraya's less so, but, but you know, yeah. we want to hear her talk. And I think, you know, you just put it all on the line. It's just like, I've been humiliated before. I'm like, this business has been horrible in so many ways, but it's my life. Like, there's my fucking brother whose life is wrestling and who has never made it. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, never, like, gotten his due, and I'm going to do this for him. And then you just have him Ooh, go out. I wonder if like Tony a... Khan gave him a job. I wonder I'm if Tony sure Khan gave him a job to, get, to sign Soraya. Because he'll give everybody else a job. I don't know why everybody but... gets a fucking job with them except for me. But fuck. Oh, you preach to the fucking choir. I'm booking after guys. <laughs> like, but yeah. And, you know, he's somebody that I actually wanted as a guest like months ago. And I told Larry, like, he'd be fascinating to talk to you because he's a good trainer. But, you know, and I've always said this, the people who are usually the best at training were never stars, right? Yeah. That's kind of what makes them a great trainer, whether that's me, <laughs> um, you know, less Thatcher well, to a point, right? Like, there's, there's something about learn from what I did not accomplish, um, you know. Well, it's, that, also, it's that, also a star, a star succeeded, right? A star succeeded his own way. Stone Cold succeeded yeah. his own way. He can't tell somebody else to do that. Rock, you know, I mean, it's like a guy who is a mechanic like myself, you know, and who's a student can observe and say, this will work for you. This will work for you. This will work for you. Like, yeah. You know, you need to work this way. So that that is a good point as far as uh, that goes. I know Sean's not necessarily, I don't think, the trainer down there, Sean Michaels, but, you know, Sean was good with, Sean was good with training um, basics and stuff and fundamentals, which are, you know, so overlooked nowadays that it's ridiculous. But um, it's um, but it is a good point that you know sometimes it's the workhorses and the uh, um, the middle guys are the ones that make the best trainers. Well, and I think the guys who, you know, I want to talk about that. I think this is really important, and I think we're the right guys to talk about it, which is. <laughs> Other people need to be brought along too, meaning bookers, um, ring announcers. I think, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have this great crop of, you know, like Rob Rod is going to head up. I'm just spilling all our shit. So Rob Rod's going to head up the nomination process this year. And then there's a couple people who want to do an actual awards show at like the Southern Honor Building which Larry mm-hmm. sort of threw at me today, and my first reaction was, like, it's the fucking dumbest shit I've ever heard of. And <laughs> because while I think in concept it is interesting, it's one of those where, like, no, we need a year's worth of prep. I felt like we needed a year's worth of prep for you guys are going to get physical awards, right? <laughs> I announced it yeah. for one year, and then we made it happen the next. That's the only reason it got done. And I feel like if we're going to do, but like, but guys need to be, and I understand the young person's instinct, Tyreek or even Naja, like we, we, want, we have this idea, but I think wisdom is understanding, okay, well, how is it going to get done in a way that is effective? And I think right now, like the best thing that happened to Dylan was you being there. 
because again, you can like you're it's still it's his vision. I mean, I look at that show and I go like, this is Dylan's idea. I don't doubt that for a second. But having somebody there, and it's what Tony Khan desperately needs. He needs somebody who is not an AEW wrestler um, to go. And he doesn't, as I think William Regal's great. I don't think he's a booker, right? Like, I think people mistake, I respect this dude, or this dude is smart, with this dude has this skill. Storytelling. Yes, different skill set. There's different skill sets there, yes. Yeah. People don't realize Story that. Storytelling and vision making are skills. And it's why, I mean, I'm not going to brag, but yeah, I'm going to brag. Like, I walk into any show and I go, huh, they should do this and this and this. It's when Vince McMahon was good at this shit, he could take your idea and make it a million times better, right? Yeah. He knew how to go this is bad, this is bad, let's whittle you down to your essence, and that's what we're going to emphasize. And it's kind of like movies in the 80s, right? I, I'm, I'm fascinated with how certain movies became hits. And usually it was, it hung around the theater, and at first it wasn't a big deal, and then all of a sudden its audience found the movie. And then yep. they spread the word. It's Flashdance, right? Flashdance did not have a $100 million opening weekend. Right? It had a, a non-existent opening weekend, but you were allowed to have time to garner an audience and make mistakes. And now, if you generate a thing where everything is about the bottom line right then and there right now, people think that that is the fairest litmus test. It is the opposite. I don't care that the AEW pay-per-view had a million-dollar gate. That's a great, interesting statistic but it probably has more to do with how they've raised ticket prices than it does with the success of the company because that building did not look full to me. But they will tell us we made a million-dollar gate instead of we did an amazing show that is another step in the building. of like We both watched it. Did you feel like that show was an advancement for the company or was it just another big show that they paid off that was too long? That's how I felt. You know? That's how I felt, too. That's how I felt. I did not get any, like, going into it, I, what, you know, I was going to see how they did the MJF, uh, or how he'd win the belt, because I thought there was no way he wasn't going to. But other than that, there was nothing that I was, you know, incredibly, enti- even with the elite return, it wasn't, that wasn't a selling point to me. And, yeah. you know, I, you know, hell, I didn't pay for the thing, but um, so I got my money's worth. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it, it is. How know, many, it every match, put it this like, again, this is like you said, I mean, you said so brilliantly, right? These are, these are wrestlers telling bookers how they're going to do things instead of the other way around. Every that's match how, that's had, every match had, I do your finisher to you as a falsy. I'm mm-hmm. saying, when I say every match, that is not hyperbole. Every single match had guys doing their finishers to each other. And I thought to myself, like, and again, it, maybe he doesn't get credit or infamy for this, but that is definitely a Russo era, you know, we're going to do the finishers to each other. It's the kind of thing I'm sure he loved, you know. 
oh, it's so great, bro. And unfortunately, it has now become a trope that you are expected to do that. Um, actually, and, I, and, I, and here, historically, here, let me interrupt you real quick. Historically, yeah. I don't think it was a Russo thing because Russo had nothing to do with match layouts. You look back, it was Stone Cold and Rock that started that. That's what I'm saying, but I'm saying it's in title. that era where it's he, in that era. I'm sure, like, era, I mean, yeah. of course he didn't lay out matches. Yeah. I'm saying, though, yeah. he definitely, you know, it was his vision and his sort of like, yeah, I encourage certain things and I discourage others. And, I mean, uh, we cannot like scripted promos, but scripted promos happened because at some point, they assigned guys, individual writers, to Stone Cold and The Rock. Was it still those guys cutting the promos? Absolutely. But they had writers to bounce stuff off of. And it's not hard to imagine the next step, which is, well, if it's better if you have a writer involved, why not have all these writers that we have on staff write shit for you? And like, that's, how, that's how television shows do it, and we're a television show. None of that is out of bounds to me um, because, again, they're so adverse to risk. And what it, like, that's my whole point is everything is being adverse to risk. And what it ends up doing is it creates a situation where, I mean, Gary Lamb can't feel like he can just admit something. It's this Trump era shit, right? Ne- deny, 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 right? It's not, fuck, maybe there's a bit of a repudiation going on. Fuck, we just keep the big show so the crowd's going to drop. Fuck, there's got to be something that's not quite working. Instead, it's just, because I didn't deem it so. <laughs> it's like, which I think sort of repudiates the hard work that everybody's doing, because nobody can just say, yeah, we probably fucked up on that one, but we're going to ride this out and see how it goes. Or we fucked up on this one, so let's just change gears right away. And I, I think we've got to well, get back to being, being okay with failing and not yeah, having that yeah. be the end-all, be-all of everything all the time. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, you got you, sometimes, you know, and you know as well as I do, you know, there's the ADHD booking. I need that immediate reaction. But if you know you're headed somewhere – if you're confident in the vision, then you've got to take the, good, the bad with the good sometimes. Um, I'll give you, a, a, I'll give you yeah. an instance, uh, and Larry's on the line here, and he can vouch for this. Um, we, uh, Nick versus, uh, we did Nick Kalen versus Billy Buck a few months ago. Buck was heavyweight champion. Larry goes, was not complimentary on Buck being champion. I said, you have to wait. Because I had a, you know, the vision I had is where PC would uh, become heavyweight champion, but it had to be, I wanted on a big stage, which would be crossroads, and we had to build it to get there and do it. And then it worked when we did it. So it was like sometimes you got to have patience in the process, even though you know something, or if you see some things aren't working, but then also you can bump it up because then the next show, Buck was on fucking fire and had the crowd in the palm of his hand and cut the best promo of his career and then promoted it perfectly heading into the match with CT. So, it's sometimes where you can rebound from stuff that did not nail as much as some people thought it did, but, you know, you can also use that to, you know, take the, you know, 
make it better. Yeah. And sometimes it's a matter of setting your own standards, right? I had to do a lot of goalpost moving with PCW. I mean, I consciously went, I can't win the who's got the biggest crowd argument. I knew that, right? You're looking at Rampage, you're looking at Anarchy. I'm like, I can't win that argument. I mean, this is, this is a lot of inside baseball shit, but, like, I went, right. how am I going to win, and how's PCW going to win promotion of the year when we draw um, 40 people, right? Um, it's like I have to change the nature of the argument. So I, it took a couple years, but I did it, right? <laughs> Which is, like, I just have to be – I'm just going to be more interesting. Like, that was just going to be my thing. I was going to be more interesting. I was actually going to have comedy stuff that was funny. I was going to do – wacky stuff. Anytime there was a criticism, I was going to address it honestly and shock people with my honesty, right? It's just like, yeah, no, I, you know, we have a white supremacist character because it's the only way you can really be a heel in modern age. Like, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And, and um, I, but, but I also have the luxury, and this is where I think all the leagues have this in common, and I would challenge all of them to pursue this part, all of them are in a position where they can make mistakes. And in a lot of the stuff that I see, the reason that a lot of booking, I'll just be honest, kind of bores me when I read about it is because I don't see risk and I don't see like, you know, I told Tim this all the time at IWE and he was interested in what I was saying in concept but anytime we would get into a discussion about how to make it happen, he would immediately recoil. And that was, who's making their own star with a unique gimmick that is not done anywhere else? Who's doing something that isn't, well, and Cruel also wrestles here and here and here and here, or Overkill does their thing here and here and here. And I was like, you know, you got to create your undertaker. Or you gotta, and so I would have these sort of like huge concept things and we could have this kind of thing or we could recreate this guy. I mean, you know, I, the example I use is Taco becoming supernatural, right? It's like, uh, you know, he's a little dude who, you know, his, the best thing he ever did at Wildside and Anarchy was get not just slapped out of his hand, right? And it's like, but what I saw was a guy who was – desperate, right? Desperate to be recognized and be a star and was willing to do anything to do it and had some physical gifts and had been trained by some pretty decent guys. So it was just like, let me come up with a concept that nobody else is doing with him. Um, I don't know. I, I, and I'm not saying that nobody is doing anything. I'm just saying, like, who's doing the gimmick then instead of me going, that's well done, like Will Carter or whoever, right? That's being done well. I don't want being done well <laughs> as much as I want. What the fuck is that? I don't know where that gimmick is, I guess is what I'm saying. Where, where's that guy? That's why the cruel thing on the deathmatch thing took it by storm. Because it was like, of course this character needs to exist in deathmatch. Right? Of course. Yeah. And then we could have this whole, like, I'm a monster and I'm with Casey Kirk and, like, her husband's jealous. And, I mean, for ICW, who cared less about the story than anybody, to have the most interesting story 
in indie wrestling, in my opinion, right, which is like, you know, a girl is their American Deathmatch champion, and now she's going to face her husband, who she's repudiated his last name to make her own name. I'm like, that's a great story. Now, execution-wise, we'll see what's up, but I, I, that's the story that I – who's telling that story? Um, I don't know, Todd. You, you're closer to the, the game than I am, certainly. Do you see that happening, and I'm just missing it? Um, as far as, you know, something out of the box as far as a man fighting his wife, no. Um, in death matches, that's kind of, you know, another level of things as far as, you know. I, and, hey, I'm not the guy to come up with the goofy gimmick. That's never my deal. I'm not good at that. I can take a character and trim some fat. And sharpen the edges. What about what about the powerful visionary character, though? You know what I mean? The like, really like, the compelling. If you had to talk about this character with somebody who wasn't even necessarily a wrestling fan, they would be like, "Whoa, right?" Like, let me tell you about what's going on here. Blah 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 blah, and that person would go, "Well, shit," you know. Mm-hmm. As I could talk about, I mean, again, I can only use myself as reference, right? So it's like Shane Marks, great wrestler, <laughs> held on to that title forever. He was the first champion through everybody underneath him, right? Davey Richards, you lose. Adam Pierce, you lose, right? Like, and then it was like, what do you do after Shane Marks? Um, put it on a monster who has no interest in having great matches, Right? No interest in doing anything. Gets disqualified in every match because he's pulling teeth out of people's heads and recreating all my favorite horror movie moments. Right? You do that for a while. And it's just like, and as much as people, some people are like, oh, we don't like this because they wanted what the fuck ever, some five-star shit fest. In my eyes, it was like, well, we can get that on the undercard. And then this thing is going to be who can finally destroy this monster let's just roll with this monster and how many spectacular you know he shows up with a chainsaw he has pandora in a bag a la audition you know like all the stuff that people got to see he drowned a guy in front of the audience and the audience didn't know how that guy wasn't dead you know just all the stuff that i personally delighted in but it was the goal was i didn't want people to go PCW is this kind of wrestling show. They're going to have like great wrestling for the title. Ugh, fuck that shit. I just, I'm, I don't know what that is about me, but I'm just like, I have no interest. In fact, that Moxley MJF match, I thought the weakness besides the overbooking of the end was like, they're trying to make MJF into something that he's kind of not, which is, you know, a catch as catch can style wrestler. It's like he's he is who he man. is. He's honky tonk yeah. man, but with better promo yeah. and heat. I mean, he's got his heat and stuff. That's the character. That's what you need to go with. Have heat. You know. I mean, you go back to what uh, Jimmy Jimmy Rave tried to establish in Ring of Honor was a heel. A guy got out of the ring, got away from the fight, and figured out how to take the fight to get in there and do that. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, it's you know you don't with certain characters you don't need five star stuff as you talked about the monster character. Um, and, you, and you take things back um, I'll go for my reference in Anarchy and Larry remember this when I had the run with uh, guys like uh, Chad Parham and Ace Rockwell for the heavyweight title 
and then I changed it up to Berg, uh, Michael Judas, and uh, Shatter, Gunner, Slash, Chad, um, um, going for the he- you know turn the heavyweight title into a big man's division when I had the monsters in place for it. Yeah. So it's um, you know, it is it is what you want to do to change perceptions sometimes and change things up on stuff. And um, you know, I mean, it's it's you know, I, I come from a more traditional background and philosophy than you, so I see things differently than what uh, how, how you go with them and stuff. And you do the you do the uh, the crazy characters, um, and the, the crazy storylines and the angles and stuff, which were, you know, I mean. Ironically, was probably before its time, and what it was Which doing. Which is true, in, but I would also defend know. it as this. Um, you know, they're doing this best of seven thing with Naja. That was fucking PCW. Mm-hmm. We had the unofficial best of seven thing, and we did it a bunch of times. And I mean, who's done more hour time limit draws than me? Right? Yeah. Because that, that's, that. that's I've never I done think. one, which is going to go. So you have had that tradition in there because I mean, you say best of seven. Well, that's Magnum T A Nikita. And, you know, and I did best of seven with Jimmy, or the five. I don't remember. Um, I know it led to the Iron Man match, and then Caprice and Mama Luke did a best of series. So it's, you know, you know, and you did it there too. So you do add that tradition into it, which is what I always appreciate about you booking-wise is the, the, the two sides of the coin that you hit. Yeah. Yeah, I just – and, and... – I mean, of course you're right in that I do love sort of like, okay, what's the, what's the most intense, like my thing was always how do you wring the most intensity of emotion out of an audience, whether that's, it's like, have I ever seen an audience legitimately scared? No. So I'm going to do it. You know, like I'll have them chained in <laughs> and so they can't believe. And just this, you know, I'll have this plant in the audience in a wheelchair and I'll have them get kicked in the fucking face. Like, whatever, right? Like, I just wanted to wring emotion out of it. And I think people are doing that effectively. I'm just sort of like, I want to see people really do something that is upsetting, but in a good way instead of the... uh, (laughs) <laughs> which is often what happens when people take even minor chances. So maybe the answer is it's hard because you have to educate your audience. I, that's one advantage that I definitely had that I just can't dispute. When you're doing two shows a week, you're allowed to get away with a lot more. You can move things incrementally at times. Instead of, I don't envy Southern Honor having to feel like they have to make every show the best show they've ever done. I, I think that there's something about that that causes burnout. It causes, like, storytelling problems. Even when you're able to do twice a month, it's so much more effective, right? And you learn to book for television, which is its own thing in its own right. So, like, yeah, uh, I think that, you know, but what's the answer? Southern Honor doing more shows? I don't think that's it. I don't think that that's something that's going to happen anyway. Even if even if Gary Lamb was to step away and Dylan would take over and all the rest of the stuff that I hear about, but what does that mean? Um, do they really have it in them to run every week? I don't know anybody that does beyond Pro Style, right, who's kind of set up that way. So well, I, mean, I don't know. And here, me, the fact that you brought that up is interesting because um, I had a conversation with uh, Marcus Cross this week 
um, about uh, he he was talking about I, I do this thing and and um, Blair's familiar with it. Um, I have a you know guys I send I, I send we do wrestler of the week and I send stuff um, we choose a, I choose a wrestler and I send him stuff to study and I tell him what to look for in the wrestlers you know we, the stuff me and you've talked about before when you did the match breakdowns of legendary matches and stuff. And I do it with the guys to teach them things. And um, it's a huge list of guys I got. Um, and um, But this month I decided to do a whole month, and I called it Funk Vember, where it was Terry Funk all month. And um, I did a uh, – Marcus asked me about a particular match, if it would work in front of a – it was such a fast pace. It was uh, Hogan and Terry Funk from Saturday Night's Main Event. And it's a very fast-paced match, first time. Because mm. it was yeah, Saturday yeah. Night's Main Event. They only had – they only had nine minutes, so they're telling their 20-minute story in nine minutes. And he was wondering about that working in front of a, a Southern Fried crowd versus this crowd. And then we talked about, you know, shows as far as – because he – at the other shows he does, he does it, you know, it's like the Southern Fried crowd loves the baby faces and hates the heels. And it's like, would that work? You know, what about running weekly? And we talked about the, the pluses and minuses of running a weekly show. Um, you know, even with Pro South does what it – it does, and it does it effectively as far as a money-making of the live thing. It's different because, you know, even though you can stream it on the Internet and stuff versus having 50 people there on their big shows where they pack the place out. And to do right. that every week is, uh, you know, when you still got to pay guys and stuff. And I, and I did it weekly with um, the Wild Side Friday night shows when I started to learn how to book. And then when the NCW uh, came back when I was helping out, up there and stuff. So, and it can be so fun because you're just trying stuff. Because like you said, you got a week, you got another week to make make right on something that didn't work, and everything and stuff. And and there's a, another thing we talked about as far as um um and and I sent the promo to Larry was one of Terry Funk's promos, and I was explaining the guys the difference between, and it goes against what you were talking about earlier about you don't care about how big the crowd is is doing a promo that draws tickets versus getting views, how right. it's a different animal, where you do a promo to get somebody off their ass, go out and buy a ticket to come to the show versus just watching it and forgetting about it a couple of minutes later. You know, it's those kind of uh, different things you try to teach people and stuff as far as the effectiveness of what you're doing, um, whether it be promos, videos, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like, I can, you know, if like, I can say one thing about that funk promo, one mm-hmm. is when I put I put it on the TV to watch it, and my wife sat and watched it because I mean it was it'd been so long since I saw a promo that was just specifically done to get people in a building for a particular show. Just you know, it was, <laughs> and and that he had several different takes on it. Within that, I know it was uh, great that, watching I, the takes, right? Because <laughs> it was the, the takes on it where you see it's like, oh no, that wasn't real. And then, you know, it, to me that's fascinating to see somebody yeah. who's a master of that art go through the process of doing it, and that's why I use that version of it where it was the, all the promos and the takes on it. I thought it was just great to see even the master of the craft is not happy with certain things and has to, you know, reboot himself and stuff. Yeah, but what a lost art. But anyway, I I, I I digress. By the way, you guys got uh, about 10 minutes left before we run out of time on this uh, live thing here. Cool. 
I, I so I have NXT on in the background, and I have, have the volume. On the background. And I, and oh, well, okay. Here's here's a question. So you have world class on in the background. So just just look if you have this, especially if you have the sound off, right? As I do on NXT. Yeah. Here's the number one thing I notice, and it's you know it's the girl that sleeps against some other bitch, right? Who cares? And, okay, I know I know who you're talking about. I can't tell you their name if they were in front of me, but I know who you're talking about. Right. So here's what I notice. The crowd doesn't engage. They're watching passively as if they are watching it on TV. That's the look on their face. Now, it might not be, you know, it's, it might just be part of the modern condition because of phones and all the rest. I mean, we can't even measure the effect of, I've got a supercomputer in my hand, right? Like, I, I'm, ne- I'm never going to dismiss that, right? <laughs> That's like a powerful thing. Like, you know, we have a, a thing in our hand that ten times the memory storage of, like, an Apollo fucking moon thing, right? Like, that's insane. But yeah, we have the world the in our hand here. I mean, we, we, they are yeah. not engaged, whereas I would argue, I'm sure if you – if you just took a still picture, I'm such a fan of still pictures, right? The one thing I notice when the boys put up pictures of themselves is invariably I always fucking laugh because they're like, yeah, look at how great this was. And I just go, then why does the crowd not care? And I, I understand that that's not an indictment because we're in the modern era, but I don't remember the last time where I saw a picture where the crowd was different levels of engaged in their faces where they were all having this sort of simultaneous emotional react. It's one of my, my favorite picture of myself in wrestling besides, you know, with me, me holding a blade and Jeff G. Bailey bleeding just because we set that shot up and then we delivered it, which I was so proud of. Like we made sure the cameraman knew this is where shit's going to happen. You better fucking be there and get the picture. And he did. Right. But my favorite picture was Mason beat Shane Marks at Sacred Ground 3, and then I decked Jeff with the title. Thanks for not getting color back for me, by the way, Jeff. Fucking dick. <laughs> and then I, I, I just spontaneously ripped off the green jacket, threw it in the air, and then did this knee slide. But I love that picture because it's, it's not the clearest because it was with somebody's phone, and they just took the picture in the moment. And, but it was like pure emotion, but the crowd was into it. That's why I love that picture because all of them are cheering because they felt the release. And, I was, and that made me realize in the modern era, even in the best pay-per-views or premium live events, where the fuck, like all I notice is the energy from the crowd is not there, even compared to like 20 years ago where it's just the – a pop is rarely a, a pop as I would have understood it back in the day. Does that make sense? Like, do, like looking at that world-class crowd, even in the slower parts of the match, even when the chin lock is happening or whatever, there's still this sense of engagement from the audience that I don't know how we get that back or if it's even possible. I don't know. It may it may not be, and I'm watching it. Yeah, they're engaged in everything. And you got the and, and we all remember the the shots of the Von Erichs or Iceman or Chris Adams in the ring and the fans all getting their program signed, you know, while the yeah. announcements are going on and stuff. And, and that's one thing. It's funny you say that because that's one thing I shoot for is to give that 
that vibe, that oomph of that old school feel of a show. Because, you know, I don't have the production capabilities of Southern Honor or um, I always forget the initials of the damn show. And I apologize to Tim right here on the air. Oh, um, IWE, I, yeah. Thank you, IWE. And I, I always want to say IWA because I always remember the uh, Puerto Rican territory because Mike worked for it and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, but you know those production capabilities and um, which are both of them do so good. But I like the idea of of making the best of what I got with what I got. And I think you know to me that's you know. But it's that vibe and that oomph. You know, watching the show right now, JYD is getting ready to wrestle us uh, somebody here, and then there's this you know everybody's just so into it and everything and. And stuff, and that's why I try to get you know, in us doing Thanksgiving night here. Here's that. There you go. There's your to, to dive right into it. Tradition. Yeah. Thanksgiving night. Oh, uh, you know, we're doing that. That is an old, you know, from world class to Crockett to Georgia, running Thanksgiving night and stuff. And you know, even more tradition. And that's why I wanted to do the uh, the Charles Tribute Tournament on that night because it was his idea to run Thanksgiving night which hadn't been done in, in forever. And to, to right. do that, it, it just gives a, it gives an old school feel of doing the tag team tournament, which was, which was always done at the Omni and at Crockett, which is ironic. Now, when you look back at how important tag team tournaments now and how bad tag team wrestling is kind of perceived and done these days, which has always been, you know, something I've tried to coming from a tag team background, I've always tried to, uh, you know, promote and do the best I can, but sometimes it's difficult when you have two guys and one one guy doesn't stick around, and the other guy does, or this, that, and the other, especially on um, the uh, Georgia Indy level. You know, and, and yeah, and all ind- all indicators that we're gonna have a good crowd that night, which is fucking fantastic. And Nick and Adrian in a sing Nick, you know, Nick and Adrian in a singles match for the first time ever, and for those two guys who obsess like they do as far as the work they're going to do, I, that match is going to be something to see, honestly, because they're going to the I you know the 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 prep they put into what they do is is you know so inspiring. So and it's be, and it's real wrestler shit. I think the idea of wrestling on a Thanksgiving card is exciting. Like Larry was talking about, and I mean I'll just bash it. The idea of Baron Black doing a fucking show Sunday at 11 p.m. is so fucking inane. It is so stupid. And, and I mean, and I'm thinking, when's the last time some idiot, and I'm like, oh, that idiot was me, right? There you go. (laughs) Like when we would do, because they would have a main stage show, so we couldn't interfere, so we had to do a 10 p.m. show or midnight shows. So we did like the, the very infamous, you know, PCW fucking midnight madness shows. And people showed up, and was it a lot? No, of course it wasn't. But, but I think the wrestlers that were a part of it, there's something of just. I love the coolness factor of. I mean, for people, we're old, and so it's like, oh, yeah. Thanksgiving Day show, of course, Christmas Day show, of course, and Rick Michaels loves that shit, right? Because again, yeah. he's fucking old too, and so like, but for the guys to get to experience that in some way, shape, or form. And getting to do the, I mean, I, I say it all the time. We are in a time of plenty. Like I could not have imagined when I, even when I was doing this shit, where there's 
so many decent leagues, and even leagues that were shit are suddenly not shit. That's, to me, the interesting story about Classic City Wrestling, right? Is I looked at that card and I went, this could be any number of other leagues, right? Just as far as the talent level, how they're being used, like all of a sudden, you can become better quickly. Now, some people are going to want to move that goalpost. Like, at the end of the day, KLT can be named after some dead woman's initials, and they can fucking draw 400 yokels or whatever. But as long as the talent level centers around fat rednecks, sorry, right? Like, I'm just, you know, they can get mad at that. They can call it snobbery. Bro, when are we going to get our due in the awards? No one's going to vote for that shit because it's because the boys just perceive it for what it is. I can wrestle in front of a crowd, but the show is shit. And and anybody who knows what they're doing knows that that's true. But for Southern Pride to do a Thanksgiving show is cool because it's going to be good. And people are going to yep. be satisfied, and, and it's a cool vibe. And But you know what? Even if it didn't work, even if it got a small crowd, like, I'm glad that it continues to happen because it's, uh, you know, again, it's a, a time to adjust. That's one of the things I like about Southern Fried so much is mistakes are made, and crowds have dropped from time to time. But, oh, mm-hmm. well. We're going to sally forth, and we're going to figure something out, and we're going to generate a thing. Um, and and, and that's no excuse, what most excuses don't get made. I'm just so just so tired of. I didn't feel like promoting. Like, well, I mean, well, you know what? It, then you should be fucking promoter of the year. And uh, let me just um, say that if you vote for Gary Lamb for promoter of the year after he has repeatedly said, "Well, I just didn't give a shit," or "I didn't have time to do it," like, fuck you. <laughs> Like it's Ricardo, okay? <laughs> can we can we give it to the guy who draws the hundred thousand dollar gate, please? So, <laughs> but, so, but anyway, it's, it's, it's not a sprint; it's a marathon, and that's what a lot of guys don't realize. You know, I mean, yeah. as long as I've been involved in this, and you know, you have been, and Larry to a certain extent. I mean, it, it, you know, you learn, you move on, you you do what you do, and but the minute you know it. it you know, you, if you want to be here and keep doing it, and granted, that may not be good or bad because we know how shitty this business can be. You know, like I've yeah. said before to my guys, we were all stupid enough to fall in love with this business, which does That's not it. give back willingly, you know, and um, but you've got to make it give back to you. And, you know, I'm at the point now where I'm finally in where I – what I do in wrestling financially helps out my family. You know, and that took a long time to get to that point. Yeah. And, you know, and but it's something I take great pride in. And, you know, and the fact that I, I love it, you know, I've been burned out, as I think all three of us have been burned out on what we do on occasion. Um, but honestly, right now, the reason this got started, you know, I tell Larry we should do a podcast. Why? Because I want to talk about wrestling. I'm excited about the show Thursday. Steve hadn't said shit in weeks. And, you know, I want to just talk about wrestling, what's going on. We can t- and we how many topics do we cover? You know, Steve's obsession with, with Gary Lamb, mm-hmm. or that aside. 
You want to say anything, Kelly? Kelly's back at the house now. Last time I talked to you, she was hanging out with Nick. But, you know, we got through that. <laughs> um, so that's good, especially with the holidays coming up and everything. So Glad to be back. Glad, yeah. So she had her midlife crisis with the younger model. It didn't work out. I don't know. I mean, I know we got to wrap it up, but, like, what's your – well, since we're so close to award season, um, I feel yeah, like see, Southern I, I, Fry. I think we should talk about that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I feel like Southern Fry got kind of shut out last year. It's just one of those things where there was a, a lot of attention going into two separate directions. Um, this year, I I really don't have a gauge on how things are going to go because there's so many younger guys sort of involved in the process now um, that seem really engaged. So it's just harder to predict, which I love, right? What are you? What yeah. are your thoughts? Like, like if you're just just blazingly honest, who are the people who you think are still, or who would be your choices for certain categories? And I'm just, I'll just leave it that like open ended. Okay. Um, all right. And I knew this was going to come up, so I got to yeah. have a, a rough draft of this. Um, you know, manager of the year, the two. Yeah, you know, the the three. Kelly, you're out of it because you stopped at the end of the year. I just no, tell you that. Wait, you to June that six months. That's not gonna go out anymore. <laughs> and plus, you were hanging out with Nick and cheating on me. So, um, wow. so would be obviously Matt, Brock, and Brooklyn. Um, yeah. And then, <laughs> um, promotion of the year, and, and you know. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm biased for what I, you know, I, I'm involved in all that. Obviously, I put Southern Honor, Southern Fried, Anarchy, and, you know, I, I, I say um, IWE, but draw running um, every two months to me is, is is different animal than running every month or you know every yeah. or twice a month like us. So I think it's a different thing so it's hard to you know put them although everything they've done everything i've read and the guys that have been there have put it over to me you know as far as let me, as let far me as say something quick about your manager choices because they were the only choices you can make it should have been tyreek but somebody lied to that fucker and told him he should wrestle and whoever did that should be beaten and if it's tyreek himself he should kick himself in the balls i'm not he had, a wrestler now yes that's why you haven't heard about him doing manager shit. I think he was okay. a lock for manager, honestly, <laughs> until he just dropped out of doing it. Or, or certainly de-emphasized it in favor of getting his fat ass in a ring. I don't know what the thought process was there when he just seemed to have such the hot young manager act. And, I mean, he's throwing punches for Joe Black, you know, and just – doing all of this stuff and cutting all these promos. And then all of a sudden it all stopped dead. So he could get inside of a ring. And I just think it's one of the dumbest moves I've seen lately, but. Well, sometimes you go by passion. Sometimes you just stick to your skill set. So you don't know what's right until you try it, I guess. That's true. And I mean, he's a but, young, young you know, man, you know what I mean? Yeah. So he, he can make mistakes. I'm just saying like, man, for a while, some of those promos, I was like, Ooh, I think Matt Hankins. And I mean, Matt Hankins hasn't done. He has done. No, he hasn't, Matt has. You know, he hasn't been. You know, because he took the uh, for storyline reasons, did this, did that, and hasn't been. Uh, you know, as done this thing. But you know, then again, you think about the spot he did with Bill at Shindig, where he took the guitar shot. 
I mean, my God, yeah. that sell in itself, you know. And he pissed off my mm-hmm. fan base enough to where they didn't want to buy tickets because they didn't like being called a clan. So I had that to deal with. Um, <laughs> so. Closet clansmen. Oh. Yep. So. But, uh, oh, is that our? And then Max of the Year, I'm always I'm always a mark for because we fight. You know, it's first year. It's like the third year you've done the match of the year and stuff. And then you know, all the. Uh, the matches I've seen, hell, I'll, this is where I put myself over. Me and Nick's match at Shindig, I thought was fucking, mm-hmm. as far as emotion goes yeah. and the work. And we did the work with inside rules, no gimmick, which yeah. a lot of guys are finding harder to do now, to have a match that stands out within the confines of an actual wrestling match. Um, yeah. Joe and Nick's last man standing match, the opposite side of what I just said. They had a gimmick, but they made the gimmick mean something. And they also did something what I think is great that guys don't do is that they have um, – they use what's there. Oh, I just found a bunch of kendo sticks under the ring. They didn't do that shit. You know, oh, here's a pair of handcuffs that happened to be here. No. It, what was there they used. And to me, that's, that's more impressive art form than let's plan all this weaponry and stuff. Yeah. Um, and Chip and Kyle's two out of three uh, Iron Man match. Once again, yeah. I'm biased. I was part of it, but it was it was I can't a wait true honor. I can't to be wait to that. see that actually. I saw that it was a, it's on IWTV now, so I'm looking forward to watching all of that. Yeah, so. I, I really suggest checking it out. They got those guys put their heart and soul in there, and it was a, you know, and then uh, and I will say this, um, and I told Larry this: the opening spot, which they didn't tell me, was move for move the recreation of me and Jimmy's opening spot from our Iron Man match. So that was a you know a touching moment for me. Um, mm. They did that, and I haven't finished watching Skrilla and Naja's match. I got through the first part, and because they released it in two parts, so I haven't seen the second part. But you know, everybody's raved about that one. Um, so I think those four matches are good contenders for match of the year. Yeah, and I mean, I know, like you know, anything Anthony Henry did in IWE was phenomenal. Um, I just. Here's a weird category. So for I'm excited that like female personality for once, I feel like we have such a strong person that it, instead of it feeling default, it feels like Brooklyn really had a year, you know, um, and she feels like a lock. Um, yeah. And then so many of the categories are so solid. Like I never thought there would have been time where there would have been like, three or four truly great referees. I, I, don't, I don't think people appreciate how amazing that is because since, since really, really the era of like your brother was the last time where you had like three or four referees that were all of incredibly high quality. You know what I mean? I like, you just can't take those things for granted. It's an amazing, and, and they all are completely different, right? Grandpa's story is nothing like David Weekly's. You know, like all these guys, um, and they all get along with each other and all that stuff. I think it's just really cool. Um, There's no category that feels particularly weak, um, which is also unique. Usually, you know, most improved. Who's that? Um, I have no idea. I'll say C.T. Keys. I'm biased, but C.T. Keys, Javier Reyes are are two right there. I'll say – 
And uh, that, those are the first two that come to mind on that. Hunter James is always, you know, uh, Carly Bravo. You know, once again, these are I'm biased because you know I care about these guys and I work with them, but yeah, I also yeah. recognize their talent and what they've done in the last year has been phenomenal as far as their improvement and what they do. Uh, the TSF guys have improved by leaps and bounds. Particularly Hunter Hunter Knott had his coming out party at the um, last Anarchy show against uh, um, Duncan in the singles match because I've only seen him in tags in TSF and in, in singles he you know came out there. And stuff. And wrestler of the year, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I don't think you can take Cruel out of the discussion with the shoulder injury for the last two months of the year. So I think he's definitely in it. And then of course you have Joe, but then I think you got two guys like Nick Halen and Nogicism. Yeah. Who definitely need to be in that discussion just based on their body yes. of work over the last year. Again, it's just like everybody's so different. That's the part that I just find so cool. You know, when Larry put up that monster list for Halloween it really put it in a sort of finite focus, like, my God, this, that state, you know, Georgia, there's something special there. There always has been, but now it's like, I mean, if you had told me after Jeff G. Bailey stopped being a manager, that the manager of the year category was actually going to be interesting, I would not have believed it. I would have just been like, well, it just feels like a bunch of pretenders to the throne, but Clearly, that's not the case anymore, right? Um, and I mean, if, and by the if way, somebody... I, I'm, I'm getting locked out of the house because Kelly's still hot about me saying she shouldn't be up for manager of the year since she quit. She should be mad at you. I think she should be mad. And, <laughs> like, I mean, we we got to wrap this up. Todd, I'm going to yeah. pose this question to you. This last question. So, um, what is your? We got 2023 coming up. Um, what is your mental state going into this year? Do, are you are you still? I mean, just be honest. Are you still very excited to be involved in wrestling to the level that you are? Because you're you're everywhere that matters, honestly. So I'll real quick. Uh, I'll real quick say this. I got after I did the retirement thing, um, which was legit. I didn't realize how much of a toll that took on me, and I was I didn't realize that I, I was struggling uh, mentally. Um, hmm. booking wise and then it took me a couple shows and then I got it back and I am excited and I'm also I'm, I'm, I'm also in the process of trying to plan Shindig will be 10 years for Southern Fried so I have that responsibility to put on Jesus. yeah seriously wow. right so I got that to uh, look forward to as well as the other stuff I love doing at Anarchy and Southern Honor and stuff um, so it's uh so yeah, and I, I have you know plans and ideas and concepts and visions as you like to say, on on the promotion headed forward, uh, and plus the business in general in Georgia and the guys I work with that I want to see succeed, and become you know get out of Georgia or become the best they can in Georgia depending on what their goals are. Yeah, I mean I have like you know people who are worried about me like I have all of these new. <laughs> related to this project I have called Vengeance Only, um, which I'm still kicking around exactly what that is, but um, the stuff that I've sort of mapped out and planned to do, starting this week, honestly, I've, I've now been able to sort of schedule work and free myself up um, for blocks of time during the day where I'm not only sleeping, which is what ended up happening the last month. So whenever I had two hours to spare, I had to sleep. But now I can actually do other projects. So 
Um, so just keep an eye out for the vengeance only stuff, which is going to be a combination of writing and videos and uh, a bunch of other things that I enjoy doing. I really am looking forward to sort of getting back into it. And I think the awards are a great way to sort of, because last year I was more or less in charge of uh, handling the election part of it. And so I'm looking yeah. forward to that again. Um, and, and entertaining the notion. I'll tell you, how's this? I'll declare this. If we can have more people involved in the process, meaning more people vote in this year's awards than have ever voted before and ask for ballots and stuff like that, I will entertain the notion of helping to organize an actual awards show next year. But if not, I, what's, I, I see no point in a few dozen people circle jerking each other. Um, I call that my friendship with jerk. Jesse Bailey. So. Yeah, yeah, you and Jeff and Matt Hankins do that for enough for us on the on the podcast and stuff on the awards yeah. show. So, you know, any much more than that. Um, and real quick, let's let's discuss the fact that uh, I'll get these couple things out there before we go. Uh, yeah. The show at the um, Southern Honor Building in December, December fifteenth, sixteenth, for Iceberg's yeah. for Iceberg's Medicals. Yes, let's get that out there and stuff because that's something that will truly be a special night in, in this business. Also, Set up by Murder are, One, by the way, which I thought was yeah. just a really great – there's nothing – nobody can have anything negative to say about any of that shit. I think it's phenomenal. We'll definitely promote no. the living shit out of that and have Berg on again yeah. and all that stuff. Exactly, so. and I agree. That's why I wanted to get it out there before we finished up here because it, it's worth saying. Um, also, I want to point out that Southern Fry is going to run New Year's Eve because we're going to try that out and see how that goes. So that's – another new uh, thing to take a risk on on the 31st. Um, and also wrestler of the year, we, you know, we didn't talk about it. Michael Judas is always in the, up in that discussion. Cause if I don't yes, say sir. it, I don't want to get slapped. Um, Cause that's happened a lot nice. this year. Um, nice. Well, so. Todd, I, we should wrap it up. Plus I'm, I'm rolling into work soon. <laughs> Do your thing, wrap it up. I'm gonna watch this Teddy Hart documentary. I'm gonna watch the first episode of this shit show because this looks like it's gonna be awesome to watch. Oh, um, and, and I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna go ahead and declare it. I'm gonna make uh, watching the Teddy Hart documentary and commenting on it and reviewing it my first thing. I'm gonna put up on all the Vengeance Only stuff um, because I have see? so many Teddy Great Hart stories that I, I have a million Teddy Hart stories that I've never like been allowed to tell. Um, including that encounter with him at ICW um, where he got thrown out of the building at the New Jack's last show and all of that shit. I was there for all of it. I have all these pictures that I was not allowed to release that I took of Teddy Hart and with Teddy Hart. So I don't know. So that fascinates me. So we're definitely going to get into that. But um, Todd, thank you so much. Uh, I really, uh, I mean, needless to say, I, I think I needed this, um, and I really appreciate you coming up with the whole concept and idea. And it was it's always just a blast to talk fucking wrestling with you, honestly. So thank you it so is. much. No, and I think yeah, thank you so much. I, I had a good time. It was just fun to, because like you said, it, we're gonna go every which way on this. We did, you know, current stuff, past stuff, what our, our own histories. It's just you know, you never know when we start talking. We don't know where it's gonna go. We just go with it. Yes, sir. And thanks, Larry, for being on the board and doing your thing as well. Oh, it was fun to listen to. Thank you, guys. Right on. Well, thank um, you, Larry. Well, Thanksgiving Day, celebrate it with your family and celebrate it at Southern Fried if you can. 
And otherwise, um, Larry's got a couple of guests possibly lined up if I don't alienate them every time I talk. Um, (laughs) So we will be back soon with another edition of The Tipping Point. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.